Hey, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Lift Big, Eat Big's new workout program, The Phalanx Method. Coach, powerlifter, strongman, and historian Brandon Morrison took a unique approach in his creation to this three-block, six-month-long effort. Using ancient sources and modern techniques, he was able to recreate the training of one of history's most destructive military forces, the phalanx. And that's not just the sales line either. This is only three days a week in the gym, and it's brutal. I've uh, competed in powerlifting, CrossFit, and spent way too much time doing brutal army PT. And this is the hardest thing I've ever done before. And uh, you can do it at a commercial gym or, like me, from your garage. Uh, He also includes little historical tidbits every week to keep you interested and to keep you hooked. If you want to challenge yourself or just try something new... Go to www.liftbigeatbig.com and enter the promo code DONKEY to get 15% off. The Phalanx Method. Are you ready to become a warrior of oak and bronze? How's it hanging? I'm David Pumpkins, and I'm going to scare the hell out of you. Hello, welcome to another episode of Lines Led by Donkeys podcast. With me today is the friend of the show, uh, not really, the co-co-host at this point, because this is your third episode. Uh, anyway, Rich is here. Hey. <laughs> uh, this is our first Halloween special. Um, actually, uh, every time I, I like chart out the episodes we're supposed to make, uh, I try and completely forget to place them like during applicable time periods, which makes no sense. Like on anniversaries of stuff, I always forget that's the anniversary and I don't talk about it. Um, but thankfully, like the entire month of October kind of counts for Halloween, right? That counts. Yeah, totally. Um, you're not a history aficionado, but you are a true crime addict. Oh, yes. I love me some serial killers. Which is why I brought you in today. We're talking about like the only time in the entire year it makes sense for us to cover a serial killer. Um, and we are talking about the vampire of Hungary, a guy named Bella Kish. Uh, so I would like to say that I love vampires, but Twilight kind of ruined that for me. He definitely doesn't sparkle. Uh, <laughs> if he sparkled, it would actually only make him more horrifying. Uh so, um, at least his victims would have saw him coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe not. I mean, we'll get, we'll get to that. They, they probably wouldn't have seen him coming. Um, so before we get to that, what's your favorite part about Halloween as an adult? Now that we're both 30, we don't exactly dress up and go door to door for candy anymore. <laughs> I actually haven't celebrated Halloween in years. I don't really do haunted houses cause I'm a huge baby. I don't really do scary movies cause I'm a huge baby. I mostly just listen to a lot of true crime and watch a lot of true crime. <laughs> I don't do haunted houses. Like, I think it was like six or seven. Um, I went to one with my dad and it was after my mom and dad were divorced. So it was like his weekend, which is always kind of a sketchy time because he lived in like a really shitty house in a really shitty part of Detroit. And he decided to take us to a haunted house and there's three of us. So he couldn't like really keep an eye on all of us at the same time. And I was way too young to be in the haunted house. You always keep an eye on the youngest one. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, We're but, the most valuable. Yeah. I definitely wasn't the most valuable at that point. Uh, <laughs> though he probably could have sold me for a fair share amount of drugs. But uh, I got separated in the house and I ended up running outside and ran right into somebody who I thought was an adult. So I like hug onto their leg and start crying. And then I realized it was a guy that was like, I, I'm sure he wasn't really this big. It was my memories from six years old. This eight foot tall, crazy man wielding a chainsaw. And uh, it obviously it is one of those fake ones without the chain on it or whatever. But he turned around and you think if you're an actor in one of these houses, like, do I go for the big scare on the six year old? Because this guy <laughs> did. He revved on the chainsaw and like held it over my head. And I don't know if I peed myself, <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if I did. <laughs> and that's I have not been to a haunted house since actually I think the last time I went I went well I don't know how old I was but I was small enough to sit on my uncle's shoulders throughout the whole thing and hide my face in his hair that works yeah and keeps na- you protected now I'm going to invite you to watch scary movies um, <laughs> so uh, before we get to the crimes of which there are many we have to get to our star Mr. Bella Keish now uh, it's weird. Sometimes it's print, it's shown like Keish Bella, 
but it's actually uh, you know pronounced like our lovely breakfast egg pie in the quiche, but it's um, spelled like kiss. Uh, so to escape any kind of confusing name situation, I'm just going to call him Bella, <laughs> which is fitting. Uh, <laughs> On the Twilight theme. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Bella was born sometime around 1877 in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, around 10 years after the empire's founding. He was raised in a small Hungarian town of Itzak, whose total population is only about 5,000 today. And uh, back then, it was a little more than a backwater village whose all inhabitants were all related. Um, so his parents were Janos Kish and Verona Varga. And uh, the only, it was not a family or a dating situation. It was just a pairing of a prostitute and a John. Hmm. Uh, Always what, a good start. Yeah. And uh, they were never married. Um, once his he was born, his mom dropped his ass off in front of his dad's steps and bailed. And nobody ever heard from her again. Prostitutes don't have time for kids, man. You know, either did his dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, his So actually, uh, you know, I wrote this script assuming Nick would be here. So this joke makes more sense then. Uh, so Bella actually had the same origin story as Nick. Um, <laughs> um, but Nick isn't Hungarian. Oh, yeah. no, he's just Mexican. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'm not going to tell him I made a joke at his expense. I'll just wait for him to listen to the episode. <laughs> um, his dad was a tinsmith, um, and was an abusive drunk and was not involved at all in the raising of his son. He pretty much just showed up to beat his ass and then like teach him how to smith tin. So who raised him? Um, the streets, I guess. Uh, I mean, like as an infant, streets only go so far. You have to have like bottles and shit. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) maybe he just survived through sheer dumb luck. He was actually adopted by a family of rats, uh, (laughs) which actually, um, explains how he looks the way he does. And I'm going to wait to show you a picture. So you've never heard or seen this guy before, right? No. Okay. So I'm going to wait until I bring up exactly how he looks and how his neighbors described him. Um, but uh, his dad did teach him how to smith tin, and he became a tinsmith himself. Um, uh, Most valuable thing a man can teach, sorry, <laughs> can pass on to his son is a good trade. Um, I guess, especially around this time, it's like if you weren't a tradesman, you're just a hom- homeless dude. Yeah, you don't need love and pats on the back. You just need skills. Yeah, and parenting in 1877, even in the best cases, has probably involved a lot of hitting. <laughs> uh, so what Bella did between uh, around his childhood and between the age of 23 is completely unknown. Um, he just kind of falls off the map. Though um, reports have surfaced years afterward from his neighbors and uh, acquaintances. And his crimes end up getting um, incredibly blown out of proportion. Um, like they picked up mythical properties. Uh, people said he was a werewolf, like not in the nickname sense, like that he legitimately was a werewolf. So there's a mythos behind it. Oh, yeah. So what really happened, it, it might be a total lie, it might not be true. But what we do know, kind of, is um, Bella kind of turned into his dad. Um, he was a normal guy and he went to work every day and was generally liked by his friends. But he spent all of his money on booze and hookers. Um, I mean, how do you spend your money? Not on booze and hookers. Uh, that would be, well, I guess, I guess it was probably illegal then too. <laughs> but I don't need to bring that heat on me, you know. Um, other accounts say they weren't, actually hookers at all is that Bella could just spit mad game. Um, <laughs> so back then there was uh, personal ads. Uh, it's kind of like yield Tinder. Um, uh, mostly people who are like widows, widowers would just like put out ads saying who they were, what they did and um, what they were looking for there. They weren't looking for friendship. They were looking for a spouse and they would just like put an ad in the paper. Uh, Bella did this a lot, but he wouldn't marry any of them. He would just fuck him and bail. Um, so uh, he developed a lot of what these, I guess, are pen pals through the newspaper. Um, and I guess this kind of makes sense to me. I wouldn't see this like drunk, gross dude being able to hit on people in public. Uh, he'd just do it through the written word. Uh, so around now is uh, you should look at the thumbnail to the podcast. I mean, normally they're stupid memes or whatever, but um, 
I actually, that picture is, is the only known sketch of him. And, uh, this is what he looked like. Attractive. Yeah. So I (laughs) explained that he looks like a fucked up version of Waluigi. Um, and you didn't know what Waluigi was until I explained it to you before we, before we started the episode. Uh, but he is easily the ugliest of the three plumber brothers. He looks like a pinball with a mustache. Yeah. And the mustache isn't attractive. Um, you know, sometimes people can have like really sweet mustaches uh, or like they're just so outrageous. You kind of have to give them respect. His is more of like a snidely whiplash mustache where, you know, whenever he says anything, he twirls the end of it. I'm sorry. My brain is fried from doing homework today. I meant ping pong ball. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I don't um, know what a pinball is. A pinball. I don't know. <laughs> if you're going for pinhead, I don't know. Uh, so Bella resurfaces for sure around the age of 23 at the town ta- in the town of Sincata, which is a modern day suburb of Budapest. Um, when he moved in, his neighbors actually remarked on the strange, good looking newcomer. Um, so he also brought ton of tons of like metal barrels with him. Uh, nobody was really sure why. Um, you don't need those for tinsmithing that we're aware of. Um, which should speak volumes on the attractiveness of all the men in Sincata or Sincota around this time. Because like I said, Bella looks like he had his face chiseled out of a pond rock by a blind man. Low standards in the 1800s. Yeah. I mean, he, I give him like maybe a four because <laughs> he has money. So you got, you guess you got to give him something. He's, well, he's got all those sweet metal barrels. Yeah. I mean, clearly your level of attract attractiveness is based on the amount of barrels you have. <laughs> Which means I'm uglier than shit because I have zero barrels. What the fuck? I know. It reflects poorly upon my family that, really I, that I own no barrels. Uh, I mean, Bella is the kind of guy that if you it, like if you're a kind of guy who looks like me, average at best, you would make friends with him and bring him out to the bar with you. He makes you look good in comparison. <laughs> well, they call that like the designated ugly friend or something. But uh, there's a whole movie about it. Duff. Yeah, does designate ugly fat friend. Well, he wasn't fat. Well, it's just all part of the Duff persona. Oh, okay. Well, he was a Duff then. <laughs> uh, Bella wasn't super friendly, but he um, would give greetings to his neighbors. That he didn't hang out with anybody, but nobody had anything bad to say about him. Uh, he would stick to himself in his little cottage, and uh, he ended up getting super into the supernatural and the occult. Um, I couldn't really find anything on what exact weird shit he was into um, because he never wrote a memoir or anything and he was nobody ever figured out what exactly he was doing. But in the area that he lived uh, was uh, there's a heavy tradition of Balkan uh, witchcraft, uh, which is based on a particular branch of paganism from before the area was converted to Christianity. Uh, He was also uh, there's also a, a tradition of shamanism. Uh, that has kind of made a new wave comeback, um, which includes stuff people may have heard of, like fortune telling, weather magic, or finding lost objects, which kind of sounds like a really shitty version of Captain Planet. Mm. Like, you can't really do anything cool, but you won't lose your car keys. Captain Planet was awesome and powerful and was saving the world. Right. That's why this is the shitty version of Captain Planet. Oh. Unless you're the the heart kid. That's not a power. <laughs> But he had a monkey. Um, as we learned in the Hogwarts episode, heart is very much a power. It doesn't say love. It just says heart. <laughs> That's what heart is. <laughs> Not always. Unless you're talking about like crunching it up for a potion or something. And I'm pretty sure when the Indian kid yelled heart, he just slapped somebody with a raw organ <laughs> and just splashed blood everywhere. At least he used the power of dead men's hearts to yeah. fuel his own strength. If you, you eat it for strength, I learned that uh, from researching all of our African warlord episodes. So maybe that was his thing. I could uh, see it. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, Captain was fucking General Butt Naked. <laughs> not Captain. I, I demoted him on accident. General Butt Naked was in Captain Planet. That's that's now canon. Uh, so, so now you have this Waluigi looking motherfucker. Locked away in his castle of random empty metal drums trying to control the weather. All while his, all while his neighbors think he's an all right guy. <laughs> That's, I, I don't get it. You know, in, before the age of like internet and TV, like this is before the age of like widespread electricity. 
I thought neighbors are always up in each other's shit. I think it depends on the time and the region. I don't think in the 1800s they very really were. I don't know. All, all of our grandparents keep telling us that things were way cooler back in the day because everybody knew everybody. I mean, is this a white picket fence suburbia type situation or is this just a bunch of dirty 1800s folk just trying to get by? Um, I think the the village he came from was the dirty 1800 folk trying to get by, but this is like a rather well-to-do neighborhood. He has a lot of money. And I don't know. I think the uh, friendly neighbor up in your business thing came around like the mid-1900s. Well, this is about the 1900s, not quite the mid-1900s, but uh, I guess we just have picket fence suburbia to blame for that shit. <laughs> uh, so this is how he actually made his money. We're not exactly sure how much money he made from uh, his various ventures, but the tinsmithing wasn't it. Uh, he actually got his money because he turned to a new racket, ripping off widows and old people. <laughs> Using those um, those newspapers that he, was, he had been using to pick up some strange, he'd actually put out personal ads uh, to claim to be a lonely widower looking for a new wife under the fake name Hoffman. Remember that name. It'll become important later. Um, also, it will reveal that he's not good at coming up with new names. Um when the poor unsuspecting woman would show up, he would earn their trust, maybe by showing them his sweet magical tricks <laughs> and then uh, finding their lost purse or something. Uh, once he did that, he would convince them to give him money and their assets. Uh, once he had stolen everything from them, he would then break up with them and send them away. Uh, actually, numerous times people filed police reports against him. But what he did wasn't actually illegal. I mean, I guess if they gave everything over willingly. Right. Also, women had significantly less rights back then, so yeah. nobody believed them. Good thing that doesn't happen anymore. But um, how stupid do you have to be? I don't, you know, he isn't the only person who did this. There's actually quite a few serial killers back in the day who did this. I believe um, uh, the white, the devil in the white city in New Orleans did this as well. I remember hearing about another, another serial killer that did it, but they targeted like the elderly. Well, that's what he's doing too. Less, uh, well, uh, widowers, um, now they maybe they died of old age, maybe they didn't, uh, and just gullible old people, people who needed a connection. Uh, so he's preying on the weak, whether it be young and weak or old and weak. Um, he actually made so much money, he hired a housekeeper, an old uh, widower named, uh, sorry, an old widow named Mrs. Jakobek. And his housekeeper noticed he kept whole groups of women in the house all at once while posing as a fortune teller and managed to rob them blind. Either Waluigi really was magic or this village is full of the dumbest fucking people on earth. Hey, you know that charisma will get you. I guess. I don't know. He didn't succeed in anything else he did. He's only good at lying to old women. <laughs> Everybody's got their skills, man. Yeah. I mean, event anyway, this constant sleeping around and robbing strangers while acting like some kind of wizard must have gotten old because he... He finally got married, actually. He married a woman named Marie in 1912. Uh, Marie was actually 15 years his junior. And by all accounts, she was way better looking than he was. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I'm sure this marriage was based solely on his good personal skills and not the vast quantities of money he had from stealing from old people, uh, because love was fleeting, however, and his young bride immediately began cheating on him with the local artist, a guy more her age named Bakari. Uh, nobody really knows anything about Bakari that, except that he was a local artist, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure also means back then that he was just a local unemployed guy. And she's the reason he started his killing spree, right? Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was just kidding, but okay. <laughs> uh, maybe not necessarily. Okay, so maybe maybe I gave her too much credit, but Bakari and Marie would be his first two victims. <laughs> Um, mysteriously, the two young birds vanished with Bella just simply telling everybody they ran off together and he must have not been that good looking because everybody's kind of like, Oh yeah, I get it. <laughs> like nobody asked any other questions. Cops didn't come by nothing. They're like, oh, yeah, I, I would have left you too. <laughs> like if, like if my wife was to leave me and, or at least if I told everybody, yeah, she's gone. She left me. Like, I would hope somebody at least asked for details. <laughs> like, they're not like, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, different times. There's not as much. I mean, 
they're now there's social social security and social media and credit cards and all of that stuff to where if your wife was to leave you, they would still be able to see a trail of her being alive. Yeah. And I mean, he actually was married once before, but um, it was uh, so uh, uh, short time is only like less than a year that uh, they got married, um, immediately had two kids uh, like back to back. And uh, almost as soon as the second kid was out, she was gone. She bailed. She didn't die. The kids in her survived, but she got as soon as she could. And he was left alone again. Um, And literally no one would ever hear from those kids again or her for that matter. So he's apparently only charming short term. Yeah. And that's not super unheard of. I mean, I'm sure like once you actually have to live with somebody, you're like, oh, you're just kind of a prick. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it's not like they had anything to fall back on. He's definitely like making all the money from robbing everybody around him. I mean, that's a quality. (laughs) Um, You know, and also I have to wonder what's the housekeeper think here? Like she knows the person that she's working for is not some kind of magical wizard who can tell the future. Or does she? I guess. I mean, I don't know. I guess. That would explain why she kept working for him, even though he is very obviously nuts and killing his spouse. Oh, you know, a job is a job. Yeah. It's like, uh, is it the Flintstones where they do something fucked up and like the bird who also acts as their shower head is like, oh, work is work or whatever. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> but <laughs> um, So uh, once his wife was out of the picture, more of his rich widow friends began appearing around the house again. Uh, because apparently he worked his way through his bank account and I don't know, maybe he added a new wing to his fucking weird mansion or something. I don't know. But they started appearing again. This time the housekeeper notes she doesn't remember them leaving. Also, again, why are you still working for him? <laughs> um, now it is around the year 1914. And uh, World War One is actually just about to start. Um, and the number of steel barrels that had gathered around his property have grown so large that local police actually went to go talk to him about it. Well, that's why the women keep coming around. It's those damn barrels. <laughs> I mean, first of all, how many fucking barrels do you have to have? <laughs> like, you know, I just kind of assumed the village and city life around this time was kind of like a lawless free for all. I, you know, maybe they had cops or something. Um, I didn't expect the 1914 equivalent of a homeowners association to, to like show up. <laughs> um, I mean, I have to deal with that shit. God forbid Bella ever forgets to edge his long lawn around the sidewalk. Those fuckers are going to slap him with a fine so small. You wonder why the hell they even bothered. <laughs> I mean, I, I, maybe cops back then were just like, I mean, there's a rich neighborhood. The rich friends are going to call and they're like, oh, yeah, bring down the property value by arraying his sweet metal drums everywhere. Or just the. I'm blocked. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wish my brain worked properly <laughs> right now. Um, and you know, this is uh, this wasn't this long after um, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand had been assassinated, and everybody knew war was coming. They just weren't sure when, so people had uh, actually began hoarding food and and gasoline and rubber, like everything they knew would be rationed during a time of war. Everybody's holding on to it for dear life. And so Bella explained to him that because of the impending war, he was hoarding gasoline that he used for work. Mind you, Bella didn't own a car. And you don't you don't use gasoline for tinsmithing. Okay, so that's what I was trying to say earlier. Because in current times, if we happen to wander by a house that just had a bunch of barrels Mm -hmm. just piled up outside, I would just assume automatically dead bodies. And maybe that's because I listen to a lot of true crime. Yeah, probably. But that would just be my automatic go-to. Because you listen to so much crime, you think Tyler Florence from the Cooking Channel is a sociopath. He is. Have you ever (laughs) seen him smile? There is nothing behind his eyes. They're dead. (laughs) It's a strong take to have on the the dear chef. Everybody go and look at a picture of Tyler Florence smiling right now. I might have to Google that just to see if one exists. (laughs) Um, Anyway. Uh, so like I said, he explained to him was gasoline. Um, but the war hadn't kicked off yet. So hoarding itself wasn't illegal yet. Um, normally hoarding supplies during a time of war is illegal, especially during times of strict rationing. So the cops were satisfied with their answer and left them alone. So they were more homeowners association than detectives. They're like, 
Don't even need to look in them. We're fine with that explanation. Goodbye, sir. I want to know what cops actually did in this time, because that's like the the biggest stories that you hear of people getting away with shit like this is cops spoke to them and looked into them multiple times and never actually followed up on anything. Well, if you I don't know any kind of um, like historical tests on text on law enforcement or anything, not exactly a scholar in that uh, area of the woods, but I do remember uh, looking into Jack the Ripper. And if you remember the police work from Jack the Ripper, it almost doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just kind of a bunch of random dudes bumbling about tripping over their own dicks and occasionally beating up prostitutes. <laughs> um, they weren't really cops. They're more just like village constables that didn't really do a whole lot. You see this girl? She's dead. You see how he uh, ripped her guts out there? I wonder why he did that. Yeah, huh. that's fucking weird. <laughs> Anyway, you want to go get a beer? <laughs> yeah, man. It's just almost <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. um, so when the war finally did kick off and with the Austro-Hungarian Empire's forces invading its tiny neighbor Serbia in July of 1914, Bela actually dropped what he was doing, ran to the nearest recruit's office, and enlisted in the Royal Hungarian Hanved portion of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, so because we are a military history podcast, just to segment here off to the side, I have to explain that the uh, Royal Hungarian portion of the Austro-Hungarian army was actually one of just four different armies that the empire had that wore different uniforms, had different ranks, different equipment, and spoke different languages. Um, if you can't figure out why they're one of the worst functioning armies of the entire war, now you know. Um, they're awful. Also, like one army didn't want to work with the other. Um, and one army, like when one army was short of equipment, the other army wouldn't give them any, even though they're all part of the same country. <laughs> so it, it would be like if the National Guard and the regular army hated each other as much as we all pretend they do. Or the army and the Marines. Yes. Um, so anyway, back to Bella. Uh, actually, I, I have a little footnote here. Some people claim that Bella was drafted. No way to decide one way or another. Um, I found more sources that said that he volunteered. Um, which is strange because he was incredibly rich. Uh, he would have eventually been drafted because pretty much everybody in his age group was drafted into the war. Um, maybe he knew that his forest of fucking metal barrels was eventually going to be coming covered and he had to get out of town. Maybe he just had a strong sense of duty to his country, Joe. Which one? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Anything's possible. Uh, the whole war is based on nationalistic horse shit. So maybe he really was uh, loyal to the old emperor there. Uh, so it didn't take long after his enlistment to be shipped out to the Serbian killing fields as one of the empire's armies got thrashed by the Serbs, much smaller army. Uh, he left everything to be looked after by his dear old housekeeper. Uh, no one really knows what she did while he was gone, but everybody knows that she sat in the house, didn't go anywhere, uh, cleaned the house, whatever, kept, kept the property up. I don't know. Waiting for her master to come home. Um, do we call him her master or do we just call him her employer? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to go with mass employer. Uh, so how do we know that she was still in the house? Well, because six months later, Bella was reported killed in action, like hundreds of thousands of other soldiers all around Europe during this time. Um, and the notice came to the house where she picked it up. And since his wife, uh, his wives were gone one permanently and his children never really knew him or possibly even knew what his name was. Uh, his property was to be turned over to the town. Um, they would take inventory of his stuff and auction off a lot of stuff that was important would be, uh, kind of taken by the state and used for the war, which is where his drums come in because of his, uh, past contact with the cops, local soldiers knew all about his vast fields of gasoline, <laughs> which they desperately needed. So they're like, well, let's go get the fucking gas. Right. Um, so cops popped the top of one of the metal drums and did not find gas at all. Instead, they found the pickled corpses of his wife, Maria, and her lover, Bikari. Pickled? Pickled. <sighs> they had been strangled, stripped naked, hung upside down, and bled dry through their necks through uh, various small puncture wounds and stuffed in the barrel of pickling juice. Where did he bleed them? Somewhere in his house. There's actually, there's a, there's a room that we're going to talk about in a little bit. His housekeeper, what she says, was not allowed to go in. She's in on this. That's what the cops thought, too. (laughs) Um, So the cops looked around and saw they had at least 30 more barrels just like this one. And uh, everyone they opened had at least one body in it, sometimes two or three. How long was he doing this for? 
no one's really sure, but they know it probably it only could have started once he moved around the age of 23 uh, into the town. So around um, uh, 1905. So he's been in it for quite a few years, at least a decade at this point. Um, each woman other than the late uh, each one of them was a woman rather than uh, the late Bakari. Uh, every single one had been killed in the exact same way. And put in a giant pickle jar and left out on the side. One of his victims, a woman named Isabel Koblenz, was actually the Minister of Commerce's niece. Somehow nobody caught on to that. How? We're not. How? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it's like, um, think about how serial killers flourished in like the 60s through the 80s. There's no way to catch them unless you catch them in the act. Thinking now, think it's the 1900s. How the fuck are they going to catch this guy? I I still stand by my previous statement that the tens of silver sil, silver barrels outside this guy's house is kind of a red flag. You know, I would have thought the same thing too, but he seemed like such a trustworthy guy with that. Such a nice guy. That That's what they say about mustache. every serial killer. Yeah. So. yeah, nobody really said he was a nice guy though. Everybody just said he was pleasant. Like, hmm. and that I guess by pleasant because nobody hung out with this guy. Like by pleasant, they meant like when you saw him in passing, he didn't like swing his dick around like a helicopter or something. I don't know, but nobody thought anything of it. Uh, so once the news got out around town, I feel weird that that's your like line of unpleasantness. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, this is this is 1900s. I don't know what the, how they fly, man. Like <laughs> they seem super trustworthy. Like imagine getting a letter. Imagine you meet your husband through a letter in the mail without ever seeing him. And he just says, come to this address. Because they were trustworthy enough to be like, yeah, right. Seems legit. Yeah. Checks out. Hoffman. <laughs> um, uh, soon tons of women came forward and said they'd been attacked by someone who matched Bella's sketch. Um, to include some stories that include being attacked by a wildly crazed animal in the middle of the night. This is where the werewolf shit comes in. <laughs> and I'm just going to assume it's all factual. Bella Keish is a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> soon the local police chief and honestly the only dude in this entire story that seems like he knows what the fuck he's doing uh, is a guy named McCarroly Nagy I might be pronouncing that wrong it's Hungarian um, was on the scene and immediately ordered Bella's housekeeper arrested now this has been hours and nobody's done this yet but he finally has her arrested um, he also began searching through Bella's house again nobody had done that yet either <laughs> Uh, and found a secret locked room that his housekeeper claimed that she was under strict orders never to go inside. I'm sorry. If he died and left her alone there and she was just there for months and months waiting for his return, she's going through everything. I know how girls are. And and remember, like, it had been six months until she got noticed that he was dead. She definitely went in there. Oh, yeah. She's going through drawers. She's going through closets. She's going through cabinets. It's just her nosy. Yeah. Yeah. And that this is why this is one of those times that um it starts to the question starts to be formed. How many people did he really kill before he resorted to the drums? Uh, because the room was filled with bookcases, but also had a desk that held the a, a large number of letters. Bell's correspondence with 74 women and photo albums, including all of them. Didn't he come to town with the drums? Yes. So, he, he had them from before, but uh, I mean, when he nobody remarked like, hey, there's a barrel full of pickled women at his old house. Like he, <laughs> he was only ever renting. So like and maybe he lost his security deposit because there's blood everywhere. I don't, <laughs> but like maybe he dumped maybe he dumped the bodies before and realized it'd be a lot easier if to just pickle them. I don't know. I think in that time it might have just been easier to dump them, like yeah. especially if you're just going to leave them outside of your house. Yeah, it's not like he had a garage. She's left him in the yard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so many of the books in the room were about poisons or strangulation. I don't even know how, like, multiple books about strangulation. Why do so many exist? Mm. Like, why does more than one book about strangulation need to exist? Especially in the 1800s. Yeah. Because, like, it's not like he had a subscription to I Strangle Bitches Monthly. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Um like, I know watch lists weren't really a thing back then, but when you go to a bookstore, I'm like, this book was so good, I like one just like it, and it's about strangling people to death, you get put on ye old watch lists. 
Yeah, see, that's why I think it's not really that time of neighbors and everybody's business or anything like that. I think it's a time of everybody just kind of looks away and minds their own. Yeah, apparently, especially in Hungary. Uh, from the letters, Nagy discerned several things. The oldest of the letters were from 1903, and it became clear that uh, Bella was defrauding the women, usually around middle-aged, who had been looking for marriage. He had placed ads in uh, marriage columns of several newspapers and had selected mainly women who had no relatives living nearby. And who this, no- There's marriage columns? Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, the news. What is this? Married at first sight? Kind of. Um, I like it's like I uh, told you about the uh, pen pals. Uh, they w- they would put the ads in um, saying, you know, I'm I'm a widower. I'm a widow. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I have. They just don't want to die alone effectively. That's just sad. I mean, that's what Tinder is now, right? Except without all the widows. Yeah, but you like you go to bang, not to get married. I mean, I, these people were fucking too. They just couldn't put it in the ad because it's 1903. <laughs> it's not like, you know, my name is Sebastian Golfbreit from whatever village. Really into butt stuff. <laughs> I have a 10 inch cock. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's the picture and like staple the Polaroid to it. Because, you, you know, take a dick pic back then. You have to sit still for like 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> And by then you're soft and it doesn't look good. Um, but yeah, he found all these newspaper columns and because he saved them all like a fucking psychopath. Um, police also noticed uh, disappearances were uh, like noted when like he kept dates of when like he decided like this person isn't leaving anymore. Um, and again, because he made sure these people had no connections nearby, no living relatives. No one was going to miss them. He he was pretty good at seeking out his his uh, victims. And even if he wasn't, I mean, he kidnapped and murdered the Minister of Commerce's niece. <laughs> like, imagine if, like, the Department of um, Commerce's niece goes missing tomorrow. It's going to pop up. Yeah, it's going to be like a statewide manhunt. Yeah. Not so much in Hungary. <laughs> um. Police also found old court records that indicated that two of his victims had initiated court proceedings because he had stolen from them. Both the women disappeared, though, and the court cases had to be dismissed. So maybe he actually uh, started killing because he realized, like, eventually when these people are going to realize, like, courts exist and they're going to sue the shit out of me. And uh, decided that it'd be better off if he just made them into human pickles. It's like a really gritty remake of Pickle Rick. (laughs) Um, Nagy also found something else in the letters, his old alias Hoffman, because Nagy already knew that the notice had been sent back to his house, assuming I'm assuming the military thought he had a family, um, that, uh, Bella was dead. He decided, well, there's no need to look after a Bella quiche in the Hungarian Hanved because he's dead. I'll look for Hoffman. So by using the name Hoffman, um, he ordered this soldier to be found as soon as possible. And you can imagine how hard it would be to track down one soldier and in front of millions of soldiers who everyone now thinks has faked his death at least once. <laughs> um, now the, it never really says like what um, clued Nagy into thinking that he faked his death because nobody knows that yet. So the theory is that he ran off to war and changed his name and enlisted and essentially did all this because he knew that they were eventually going to come and search his house. Maybe. Um, and I mean, honestly to fake your death during the war, um, I mean, all you'd have to do is switch out your dog tags or whatever their version of ID tags were on a dead body. Cause there's thousands of them laying around and then go to a unit where nobody knew you. I mean, there's no records of anything anywhere. Uh, it's not like your, uh, ID had a picture attached to it. Uh, the only picture that we know we have of him is a sketch. Right. No DNA or dental. Right. And especially not during World War One, where one crater would hold 100 dead bodies. Just switch out real fast and bail. But it turns out Nagy found the needle in the haystack. He was in luck. The Emory reported that a soldier from Bella's unit with the name Hoffman was recovering from wounds in a hospital in Serbia. So he didn't have to look that hard. Bella stayed in his unit. <laughs> Which means like everybody was cool. Like, oh, so we're calling you Hoffman now? Okay. Hoffman's not even a Hungarian name. I, it's Austrian, I guess. And But the way the military worked, they 
he wouldn't been he wouldn't have been in that unit anyway. Um, when Nagy showed up at that hospital, uh, you know, this guy is like some kind of like yield Hungarian super cop because to do all of this isn't fast. He's not going to jump in a car and drive to the front. He's going to get in a fucking horse cart or something. <laughs> not to mention this required him sending uh, letters through the mail uh, to the military who's embroiled in a fucking world war. He didn't have his iPhone? Nah, no. Nah. Oh, shit. Unfortunately, he was the first casualty of the war. <laughs> Super tragic. Uh, so Nagy showed up at the hospital where in, he was brought to the soldier's bed. And he thought he was in luck. There was a soldier laying there. But he found Bella gone. The, the soldier where he was laying was a strangled corpse with the with the dog tags of Hoffman attached. Ooh, he strikes again. This would become the closest anyone would ever come to arresting Bella Quiche. There were reports later in the war that he popped up again under the name Macquery and was cited multiple times on the Italian front. So it's weird that even though he's running from the cops, he stays in the same war. <laughs> like <laughs> He gets to kill people without even... Having to cover it up. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's what he's like. This this is kind of nice. Yeah, this is life, man. I just have to worry about I die, but even then, I probably won't feel it. <laughs> like, And also, I mean, at, at this point, he's like a Hungarian. Um, everybody knows who Bela Kish is. Uh, news has gotten around, but um, it's pretty pretty quickly taken out of the headlines because it's World War One, and millions of people are dying. Um. Post-war, there are numerous stories of what became of him, including that he died in a Turkish prison or he was arrested in Romania for burglary. Still, another story, and one I actually believe, has him running off to join the French Foreign Legion, again under the alias Hoffman, because a French Foreign Legionnaire said he knew a Hungarian guy with the name Hoffman who really liked to brag about how good he was with a garot. <laughs> And looked exactly like Quiche. But by the time uh, the gendarmes decided to follow up on this legionnaire's reports, he was gone. <laughs> and that's where he vanishes from history until 1932. Guess where? Where? New York City. <laughs> Woo. This is the last known sighting of Bella. An NYPD homicide detective named Henry Oswald said he swore to God he saw Bella exiting the subway in Times Square. Um, Oswald had um, developed a weird um, obsession with the case uh, through uh, historical studies or something, and he knew him on sight. And, uh, but he wasn't at work, and he had to run and tell somebody about it. Uh, when Oswald decided to track the guy down, he actually tracked down where he exactly where he worked. He worked as a janitor in an office building. And he was like, I got you, motherfucker. I'm going to wrangle up all my boys and we're going to come and arrest you. I'm not just exactly sure how the extradition worked back then, but he wanted his dude. By the time he showed up, the janitor was already gone. I, couldn't that just be like a case of the dude? He's got like an obsession with a case. And so he's seeing it like, I don't know, psycho, I don't know if psychosomatically is the word, but like. If he's, you know, he's thinking about sure. it all the time and reading about it and everything. It's certainly possible. But I mean, he doesn't make any other claims he saw him any other time. Yeah. I guess it's more interesting if he actually saw him. I choose to believe that it was him because that actually, I, you know what? I didn't research this for the article, but there was um, another story of something like this happening in New York City where somebody found somebody uh, from World War One, and uh, it was like somebody of note. And they found him as a janitor in a building in New York City. He wasn't a serial killer. He was some like war hero from a different country. But and I really wish I did. I did some research on that, but I'm a hack and a fraud and I did not. <laughs> that makes sense, though, to leave, you know, like such a tragic thing and just go away and live a quiet life where nobody knows you. And not to mention, he's from a podunk town in in Hungary, which is now undergoing massive amounts of change because the uh, post war the empire fell apart, and he had to deal with all the the fallout of that. Where would it be easier to go in you know incognito, a village or New York City, where there's millions of people? Oh, New York City, absolutely, yeah. and that's really where nobody cares, and everybody just looks the other way and lets you mind your business. <laughs> that's even today. Yeah. <laughs> That hasn't changed. Yeah. Um, so that was the uh, the last sighting that 
anybody had of him, even if that wasn't a sighting. That's the last time anybody claims to have seen him that's considered, you know. Somewhat legit. Yeah. Um, his eventual fate and even his exact number of victims remained a total mystery. <laughs> but, you know, there was tons of barrels. Some of them were empty. Some of them were full of bodies. Uh, he had letters that randomly petered out after they said, yeah, I'll come visit you. They had multiple time frames of women disappearing that he kept on his calendar. Never found the bodies. It, you know, they, they everybody credits him to between 24 and 25 uh, victims. I'm willing to bet it's significantly higher. <laughs> so did they call him the vampire because he bled his victims? Yeah, they, uh, they, th- that name was actually given to him almost immediately, which is kind of cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he used something. They're not exactly sure what. He didn't like slice their throat open, but he made small puncture marks and then drained them out. And they're saying in that special room of his that his housekeeper wasn't allowed to go in. But that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because in none of her other uh, statements, anything else that she's made, did she ever um, say, oh, yeah, then he brought the girl into his special room and I never saw them again. <laughs> like, well, uh, and like, was there a drain in there? Where did no, the blood go? No, it was just the house. It was just the room <laughs> of the house. Um, I, I don't know. It, the housekeeper story makes no sense. Uh, and she is not charged with anything and she ends up just kind of vanishing from history. But she was totally in on it. Oh, yeah. Um, that I don't know how... You know, I, I guess I could see how somebody pulls this off. I mean, John uh, John Wayne Gacy's wife lived with him, and he killed like forty kids <laughs> in the house. Yeah, anything's possible. Oh, definitely. There's a lot of serial killers that were killing right under people's noses. Yeah, and maybe the housekeeper was. I don't know, there's, there, I think it was like the Green River Killer's um, wife that stated like. Uh, he, I never knew he would do anything like that, even though it was all happening right right next to him. Well, in BTK, he had a wife and kids, and he was like a church-going man, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he got caught because he sent a floppy disk off from his church. Yeah, but like years after he actually stopped killing. Yeah, well, it didn't help that uh, he sent a letter to the cops and said, if I send you a floppy disk, can you guys trace it? And the <laughs> cops were like, no, of course we couldn't. <laughs> That's some good police work right there. I think the Hungarian cops could have figured that one out. <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> but also, like, huge props to Hungarian super cop Nagy, who actually at least made Bella work for it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, there's a very good chance he died during the war. Um, World War One had so many fucking casualties that nobody ever identified that he could just be some nameless pile of bones somewhere in, in northern Italy. That's probably more likely than anything else. In a perfect world. Yeah. I mean, especially because he fought in the, with the Hungarian military, which is one of the worst of the entire war. And they took terrible casualties. I mean, most people took care, terrible casualties, but they took a lot. The more likely story here is that he died in some hole somewhere. And uh, it's a lot cooler to think that some Waluji looking werewolf looking motherfucker is stalking through the streets of New York as, an, <laughs> as some immortal hell beast. <laughs> so, okay. So he was abandoned by his prostitute mother, yes. abused by his alcoholic father. Yes. Um, I mean, do you think that's what contributed, contributed to him being a serial killer? Or do you think there was like something else? You know, it's hard to say because, you know, he vanishes from history for, 10 plus years. We don't know what happened during those 10 plus years. He could have killed other people during those 10 plus years. He was being trained by the previous vampire. Yeah. That's how Batman happened. <laughs> he actually was taken away by a uh, fuck. I'm going to get so much shit for not remembering what that group's called <laughs> who trained him. And, uh, there's actually, there's actually a whole vampire society in Austria, Hungary, Hungary that, uh, spent their time training young adolescents. Yeah, it's a branch from Transylvania. Yeah, they're pretty well known. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I would like to think that it's something as simple as, you know, he was abused by his parents and or abused by parent, abandoned by the other parent, and that he's just a product of that. 
I, I feel like sometimes when we try to explain those things away like that, we, we want to simplify crazy people or people who want to hurt other people. Um, sometimes people are just bad. I think, um, like green river killer, Gary Ridgeway from about two, two hours North of us, mm-hmm. pretty decent childhood. He was a good father to this day. His son will say, I understand what he did and it was awful, but he was a good dad. Yeah. Sociopathy is a mental disorder. We can maybe interview Tyler Florence on it one day. <laughs> and you know, like it's not like he could go to a shrink in Austro-Hungary in, <laughs> in the 18th century. This didn't exist. Most sociopaths wouldn't go to a shrink anyways. And even if they did, they would be able to fool the shrink into thinking that they were okay because they, they just have those kind of, they don't have empathy, but they are able to fool people into thinking that they do. Well, yeah, it's part of self-preservation. They're really good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Anything we say about his origin story is all conjecture and rumor. It's built on mythos. But as a guy who could have abandoned the war, I mean, thousands of people uh, deserted. He could have deserted, and it probably would have been a much better way to escape from the cops. Uh, but he kept switching identities and stayed somewhere where he could keep killing people. Maybe he just found something he was good at, and God damn it, he was gonna get the—he's gonna be the best fucking serial killer he could be. Yeah, he probably enjoyed it. Yeah, I guess. Um, it's not like he had many friends back home. No, he had none. I mean, even his housekeeper says they weren't friends. Like, he didn't speak to her. He just, like, it, he, she was a shadow in, her, in his house. I don't know. It's it's weird to think about because she worked, worked for him for years, but never really described him as a person. Like, yeah, he's he's my boss. Okay, and that's all I got. <laughs> um, so we're at about 50 minutes now. Um Again, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, I know you only enjoy coming on here whenever it's something you like talking about, whether it be <laughs> Harry Potter or serial killers from the olden times. <laughs> it's just what I'm able to contribute to more. Yeah. Um, I'll have to have you on if I ever cover Texas history so I can insult it in front of you. <laughs> it's not going to be good for you. <laughs> Never is. Never <laughs> is. Um, so you can follow the podcasts on Twitter at lions underscore by. You can follow me at jcast99. You can follow Rich on nothing because she's smarter than all of us and stays off social media. Uh, thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Podcast will always be free, but if you think of what we do is worth a buck, you can throw it to us. Uh, and we now have some cool bonus content like episodes. Uh, $5 contribution will get you a free copy, digital copy, mind you, of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar. Uh, thank you for headbutting the microphone. Sorry, <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> um, a ten dollar contribution will get you one of our free, cool uh, stickers of Field Marshal Doug the Donkey, and a copy of my book as well. Um, thank you for joining us again. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>